The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Well, good evening, Real Life Real Estate listeners. I am, in fact, not Vina Jones-Cox. I am your friend and colleague, Mr. Drew, and I was... I was watching that delay because Mike had not turned it on yet. And then right as soon as he put, made my, my mic live, he, he turned on the delay because I, I have a habit of salty language. So Mike will be manning that delay switch for the next hour, ready to push it at a moment's notice. Um, I am going to be, I'm flying solo tonight. I am your host because Vina is recovering from minor surgery to remove those pesky extra toes that she's had all these years um fans of vena have long believed that she just didn't like shoes but the truth is shoes didn't really fit her that well since she had a big toe on each side of her foot so she finally decided to correct that to to get ready for you know the the christmas sandal weather so i am your guy tonight but fear not because i have the absolute best guest that anyone can possibly imagine. I am joined today by none other than esteemed personage Peter Fortunato. And for real life real estate listeners who got the the promo email for this show, Pete is the dude. Pete is the guy. Pete is the the guy that Veen and I go to his classes and sit there and stare in wonder while furiously taking notes. And then during the breaks, we say to each other things like, I got like 40% of that, you know, because he can be, he can be extremely high level, but oddly enough, he is also extremely down to earth and just a genuinely nice guy. So when Pete talks, I want you guys to listen because this is the smartest son of a bachelor in all of real estate. So I fooled Mike uh, and it made me happy. So Pete, are you with us, buddy? I'm here, Drew. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, I want to start by saying thank you so much uh, for, for taking a time. I know you had to kind of carve out this time uh, for us yeah. and, and I really genuinely appreciate it. Uh, you are, you are a, a very nice fellow for finding a way to, to do this. So I didn't have to get up here and just tap dance for 50 minutes. So how you doing, buddy? I'm doing terrific. I'm having a great time with my kids and grandkids and interfering in the lives of everybody around me. So I, I have a real good time. Well, excellent. I, you, know, you talk about the me with real estate. Remember, I started in 1965, so I'm very old and very opinionated. Well, and that's exactly what I like. You know, this is the, I'm I'm happy to give you a platform to, to share to share that opinion. Now, 
before we dive in, let me let me say I Pete and I spoke listeners. Pete and I spoke a uh, day or two ago talking about this. And I said, well, you know, the market's changing and maybe let's give some perspective about how that's going to do and how we're going to have to change in the future. And Pete, being the fellow he is, he's like, well, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, well, hang on a second. Why would that change the way I do business? I'm just essentially going to continue to do what I've always done. And and that kind of threw me a little bit because I'm like, well, no, but the market's changing state and that's such a hot time. Um, and so I want to I want to start digging in kind of right there to my mind and what Vina's been saying and I've been preaching. You can make money in an up market or down market. Absolutely. But it's when the market is changing state from one thing to another that that fortunes are made and. You know, I don't know that Pete disagrees with that. It's just he has such a long view on everything and such kind of a, a dispassionate view uh, that he is not girding himself for battle in the coming months. So why don't you explain to them, Pete, what you said to me when I kind of proposed that angle and then go ahead and defend it while I attack you? Okay, that sounds like fun. Well, first of all, you're talking about making money, which suggests business. And I'm really an investor, and I'm trying to acquire growth and equities for me, for my uh, kids, my grandkids, actually much more now for my kids and grandkids than for me, and, and for young friends around me. So as an investor, making money is not my primary goal. My job as a uh, as a capitalist, is to go out and provide value for others, thereby earning value for myself. And so I'm much more into earning that value than I am earning money. I'm not trying to buy and sell. For, well, as an, a quick example, if I had a house that paid $100 a month in cash flow to me as a rental, and I just bought it... Um, and had the hundred bucks a month coming in, mm-hmm. and somebody offered me ten thousand dollars to assign that contract or to deed that house to them. I wouldn't take it because the value of the income and the value of the house someday in the future, in the distant future, is more important to me. But if I were a businessman or businesswoman getting started, needing to earn money to, to feed my family, I might decide to take ten thousand dollars in profit and move on having built a cash flow, a chunk of cash flow that I could use uh, to support my family and uh, use in my business. So from my perspective, I am really an investor and not at all a businessman. I haven't been a businessman since I was in college and working as a realtor. Okay, so if if I'm following this, the distinction that you're making, is there's kind of making money, which means sort of the, the cash yield. And then there is the accumulation of sort of wealth often expressed through real estate as equity. And you are not looking to pay the house payment next month. You are not looking to, for money to feed and clothe yourself. You've already got that covered. And you're just looking to defer the gratification and use that as a 
instead build wealth long term rather than cash out. Well, I, I think you're talking about deferred gratification as though money is the gratification. Uh, I get all kinds of gratification out of going out and interfering in the lives of others. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's really that's really what I do. I get true joy out of it, and as I see that I've been able to help someone else, that makes me feel fantastic. The fact that I get some growth, some income, some amortization, uh, the the enjoyment of a nice home out of it uh, is going to be a reason for me to do it. I, but to buy and sell probably, like when I was a broker, so, so I could have gas in my car and so that I could survive, I've not been doing, my goal has always been to build wealth and convert from being a laborer to being an owner of assets that provided for my lifestyle. Okay. No, I, I, I dig that and I, I can get behind it. Um, I, I often say, uh, either about myself or when counseling others, I'm not really pursuing money. I'm pursuing freedom. Now, money makes that easier, (laughs) you know? Well, but not necessarily, because in money, you're talking about Federal Reserve notes, which are just simply a conduit taking you from things you like less to things you like more. Mm-hmm. And so the well, money simply is, is something you use in order to change the values uh, and the benefits you, you have. Uh, I, I've always, well, we talk about the, the market. My market is that person or couple or family that's sitting across a table from me with a problem mm-hmm. and uh, you know people every time i speak someplace or i'm just out with a bunch of real estate people which is virtually my whole life um they're saying call me when you find a good deal and that sets me totally nuts <laughs> because in in my 52 years of doing this i've only found a good deal once i find opportunities because I find people with really uncomfortable circumstances. And when I discover those uncomfortable circumstances, that gives me an opportunity to ease their discomfort and be rewarded for it. Well, I, I like that. Okay, hang on, hang on one second. Um, and because I, I want you to be able to, to kind of render that thought all the way to the end and we need to take a quick break here so the the station can can talk about things so just sit tight pete and then when we come back i'm going to come right back to you and you can do that that whole thing you can explain that whole line of reasoning because you are very much speaking my language so sit tight and we'll be right back all right, welcome back, real life real estate listeners. I am here with the Godfather of real estate, Pete Fortunato. I don't know if he likes that term or not, but there it is. So, Pete, let me let me say something because I think you and I are very much on the same page. Um, when I am talking to uh, new kids or people who are following Vina or you know worshiping at her altar, one of the things that I say is your calling as a real estate investor, like your job isn't to go out and make a bunch of money, right? That's what everyone fixates on and money is nice. Um, but your job as a real estate investor is to solve people's real estate problems. And if you do that, well, you're going to make money and I'm speaking broadly, their money, wealth, whatever. Um, and if you do it really well, if you add a lot of value, 
you get a lot in return. Um, so that is, you know, I mean, I joke about greed and avarice, you know, myself, you know, sure. I like money. I like Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, what have you. Um, but it, I, I believe that real estate investors, I'm, I'm a good capitalist too. And I believe that real estate investors sort of earn their keep. They earn the return by adding value. And it sounds like that's what you're saying, but you're almost certainly going to be able to say it better than I. So go ahead and take that and run with it. Oh, well, well, very clearly, you earn value by providing value. And so when I, when I began, when I got out of high school, my goal was to get enough assets so I could be comfortably unemployed and my assets could provide for my livelihood. Well, when I got out of high school, I didn't have anything. So I became a real estate agent. I became a real estate agent on purpose so I could earn a living and pay the bills and keep body and soul together. And I went out and generated income and tried to acquire assets so I could move toward my goal of having enough capital to be unemployed. And uh, it took me two years of working at real estate, earning commissions, getting better and better at it, asking for help at every single turn. And, and being helped by realtors and investors, it was just remarkable how willing and how wonderful people were to help me out. But it took me over 200 offers and contracts before I got my first house. Well, that first house came about because the gentleman whose family owned and lived in that three-family house had been offered a job 1,400 miles away, which was a huge career boost for him. But having your home 1,400 miles away from your job is inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. So when he was offered that job, the house went from being a wonderful home for him to being an anchor. And so I was able to buy that property by taking title subject to his first mortgage and his second mortgage which was a fantastic opportunity for me because I was 20 years old and in the eyes of any lender, unemployed as a real estate agent. And so I acquired that property. Tremendous opportunity for me, real problem for him. He wanted to leave that property behind. That property was just three months earlier, had been a prized, cherished property, went from being uh, great utility to being a problem for him. And value is that personal. So in that case, I got my very first property. So at age 21, I only had to earn 95% of what I had, what I needed to live on because I had 5% coming in from those three apartments in that building. Hmm. And so that was a big opportunity for me. And it came about as a result of the problem or the uncomfortable circumstance that the owner of the property had. Uh, my dad, who was a great people person, and would always explain to me uh, why he targeted uh, or put together a property and a person, sold the property to a couple when I was not yet in real estate. And he was explaining to me that that young couple wanted that house, that two-bedroom, one-bath house, and it fit them because they were expecting their first child. And before that, 
they weren't interested in buying the house. And he decided this would be a good house for them to buy because it was close to both of their parents, which meant free babysitting, convenient babysitting. And that benefit got them to buy that house. Well, a year and a half later, they came back to him, listed the house for sale. And you look and say, well, gee, how can these people uh, not be happy with a house in just 18 months? Well, as it happened, the baby they were expecting turned out to be twins. And 13 months later, their next baby turned out to be twins also. Oh, my. And the four kids and the parents in that two-bedroom, one-bath house, see, it was still a really nice house, but for them, it didn't work anymore. And so that's really what I'm looking at at all times. And so when I go to people, my first, and, and most of what I do, of course, is repeat and referral business because uh, that is ever so much easier. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. did a, and I did a talk for Gary Johnson in Vegas, and I talked about relationships and wealth building. And in doing the preparation for that, I discovered that in in 50 years, I've done 71 transactions with four families. Holy and that cow. Is ever, <laughs> that's, that's, ever so much easier. That's quite a statistic. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I knew I did a lot because I do an awful lot of repeat referral business, but I hadn't sat down and just kind of counted it out. But as I was doing the outline for that presentation, uh, that was one of the, the things that I discovered. Um, and that that's a lot easier than doing 71 transactions with 71 different families. No, I, but, I understand. And so I, and I, I get, you know, you're, you're a guy who's very easy to talk to. Um, at least I, I've always thought that and, and that you are an extremely good listener and that is its own art. And, uh, long-term Vena fans have heard my rant about that, about how listening is an active process, like uh, listening as opposed to waiting to speak and actually hearing what people are saying. Yeah. Because they yep. will tell you absolutely everything you need to know to make the deal if the deal can be made, um, if you can just listen carefully enough. But that sort of informs sort of what our, our big topic point here was, uh, which is when I was talking about market, 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 and you said, I'm not really going to change what I do because what I do is go out and talk to people. So... Yep. And as the market will change, I will hear different concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, the market's going up like crazy. I'm concerned I, I got to get some properties because everything's going up. The market's going down. I'm concerned because I may not be able to sell. Uh, I really want to buy a house, but I'm concerned what if I can't sell my other house? All of those things are feedback you get at different times from different people. So my perspective is my job is to discover What's the uncomfortable circumstance? And it's not my opinion of what would be their uncomfortable circumstance. It's theirs, which means you have to listen. Because, for example, I, I, as I said, I'm very opinionated. So if somebody offers a boat in exchange for a house, I'm going to be laughing for a very long time and think this is a terrible idea. But I live here in, in Madeira Beach, Florida, where a whole lot of folks love boats. Do you so still live on the water itself? I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I live on a sandbar. 
and and yet you hate boats. Well, I mean, I I like looking at boats, but I mean, it makes no <laughs> much, no sense uh, to own a boat. It's just a joke. So anyway, I I laugh at my friends, but see, they like the boat. So my job is not to just be critical of them, although I do enjoy that, but it is to help them get what they want. So my job is to discover what's their uncomfortable circumstance and what can I do to alleviate it. So I'm going to say to people, why would you sell a nice house like this? And then I'm going to shut up and find out What's going on? Uh, I, I I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yep. Um, and and I know I've heard that line from you. I don't know for probably twenty five years. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> and so the question I've always wanted to ask you, and now that I have you know sort of exclusive attention, what if it's a crappy house? I mean, I look at a lot of you know. Why would you sell an interesting house? Like that? <laughs> okay. I mean, you got to be flexible, bro. Come on. Sure. I get you. And then I'm going to go on to say, you know, I'd like to see if I can help. Well, there's nothing threatening about that. I'd like to see if I can help. And then again, you'd be quiet. And, and you're, you're seeking to see what's going on and then realize there's all kinds of ways to benefit and to benefit other people. When I moved to this side of the bay down here in Tampa Bay, my very first house that I made a deal on, I wasn't able to buy. The lady had a house that had been on the market so so long at such a high price that even realtors wouldn't call her anymore and sat there vacant. And so I went and saw her and realized she thought this house was a treasure and mm-hmm. she was going to keep it forever. And no matter that she'd offer, if the market came up closing in on her asking price, she would adjust and move the price up to make sure it didn't sell. Oh my. So I never was able to buy that house, but I leased the house from her for $5,000 a year and sublet it for $750 a month. Mm. So that's a pretty good return to me. Yeah, it is. But I never bought that house. I never got any appreciation in that house. But I generated a nice cash flow using a lease and having someone in that house so she didn't have to mow the lawn. She didn't pay the utilities. She had some income. Yeah. That happened because when I sat down with her, I could... See, there was no way that she was going to give up that house. But that didn't mean there weren't benefits that I could provide and benefits that I could win in that deal. I could provide a benefit for her taking care of her house, no. not having her go. And that, that made me money for three years. It was a short-term deal. I couldn't get as long a, a deal as I would have liked. But I got three years of significant income with very little money. Up front. Now, and now, sure, what happens I, if you don't have $5,000? Because, you know, most of my life, I, I've not had any money. But if I've got $750 a month in income coming in, you think I could borrow $5,000? Sure. See, I can. And so the income I generated by the lease 
enabled me to get the money to pay it up front and look like a really strong tenant rather than a really weak buyer. Mm-hmm. So that was one where I talked to the lady. I made a deal that benefited me and benefited her, but I didn't buy the house. Sure. Well, and there's there's a lot of flexibility with that, absolutely. And when we come back from from our break, what I'd like to do is dig into that a little bit more. And you you touched on what I think is a really important point that I want to emphasize a little bit about it not being just about the money or the big benefit. So sit tight a minute, and we'll be back right after this, and we'll dig in. All right. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. I'm here with Pete Fortunato, who's just the smartest dude around. So, uh, we are, we are soaking in some of his wisdom, Pete at the, uh, at the, before the break, we were talking about, uh, kind of the, it's not all about money and what you sort of touched on that, that I wanted to emphasize a little bit is so you couldn't make this deal with the woman because she was nuts about the value of her house. And sounds like maybe she really didn't want to let go, but you made a different kind of deal. But in describing that deal, you said you rented it for $5,000 a year. And also, and you kind of blended this in, you got a good quality person in the house who was going to take care of it. So she didn't have to mow the lawn and maintain some of the things. I know you don't have snow down there or anything, but uh, you know, take, take care of all that stuff. And I have found in my own kind of deal making and negotiation transactioneering, which is a term we ripped off from you. um, The, uh, it is sometimes almost that, that pile on close of, okay, here's your big problem and here's how I'm going to solve that. And in addition, here are all, let's call them soft benefits to that. You know, I'm going to be responsible for the taxes and for the insurance and for, you know, main keeping the lawn up and replacing the sidewalk when it cracks and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that that is, that has been a real winning strategy in a lot of circumstances. So I invite you to expand on that a little bit. Well, uh, in, in that instance, I, all I was doing was having somebody take care of that house. that wasn't her, and she lived only seven miles away, but it still was a pain for her. Um, I had tenants paying the utilities on the house instead of her paying the utilities. So I rented it, I leased it from her, and I subleased it and made a profit three years in that deal now another deal i went to look at another referral uh, a woman who had to sell her place and when i went to see her and i said you know why would you sell a nice house like this she explained that she'd had a, a medical problem which made her lose work for over a year and she had a nice house uh, with a five percent mortgage uh, back in the day when, when mortgage rates were 8 and 9, uh, but she was more than 15 years into her 5% mortgage. But when she got sick, she got behind, and she lived using her credit card. Well, I had no idea there was such a thing as a 29.9% credit card. I learned that sitting in her living room that day. Mm. Uh, she, she had... a. 29.9% card and a 19.9% card. Well, 
when I discovered what the situation was, I had my Roth IRA lend her the money on a wraparound mortgage to pay off the credit cards. And so I lent her $72,000 at 10% interest only and wrapped her $48,000 first mortgage at 5%. So by getting 10% on $72,000 and only paying 5% on $48,000, there was a terrific profit in that for my IRA. And because it was my Roth IRA, it was not taxable as is your and patriotic lowered, duty to avoid paying taxes as diligently yeah, as possible. Exactly, exactly right. And um, so, but for her, we lowered her payment from the 555 principal interest taxes on her house uh, plus two credit cards, which were over $600, mm-hmm. to one payment to my IRA of $600. And the IRA paid the underlying uh, five fifty five out from that. And again, I didn't buy the house, but I got a tremendous benefit there. Uh, so it's not necessary to to get the house all the time. It's necessary to provide a benefit and thereby get a benefit, earn a benefit. No, I, absolutely, and that's that's a a fantastic solution. And if I can if I can nerd out a minute. So how did you secure that, uh, that promise for, uh, uh, for her to pay your IRA? It was a wraparound note secured by a wraparound mortgage. Okay. So, so the wraparound mortgage was a second mortgage for 72000 which included in its balance the 48000 which was the first. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I follow you. I know that uh, all over our listening audience, their their heads exploding slightly. Um, but uh, I so I wanted to kind of step by step through yep. that a little bit, and yep. and try to bring everyone onto the same page. So I, well, I if, if you could, if the people who are listening uh, would 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 like a simple or, or one something I think is simple, if they'll draw on a piece of paper a circle and put $48,000 in the middle of that circle. That's the first mortgage, and then draw a larger circle around it. That's what's happening. The wraparound mortgage is, is that larger circle. Mm-hmm. And on the outside of the larger circle, you put 72000 and you'll find to fill that space between the circles, it takes $24,000. And that's what we did in terms of the, the structure, seeing what the wraparound looks like. That's my best visual uh, that I can give to people when they don't understand at all what I'm talking about. No, I get you. I, I think that's a, that's a very good yeah. idea. I like it. Uh, I like the, the graphical representation of that kind of thing. So you are not worried about the market change. You're just going to kind of keep doing what you've, do, what you've done for and you know, 50 years. And the fact that the market change or the perception of a market change is going to cause people to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Got to get out fast. Like, want to be at the top of the market. Want to get in at the bottom of the market. Uh, those kinds of things are affecting people and will make people uncomfortable. But since my job is to help them out and to somehow benefit by helping, that that doesn't change for me because I'm not 
a businessman trying to make a living. I'm an investor trying to create capital and value for the people I care about. Now, another example, I went, again, as a referral, I was referred to a real estate agent who I didn't know, but who knew me through somebody. I went to with her to meet a lady who was a friend of hers who was listing her house. When I walked into the house, I said to the woman, why would you sell a nice house like this? And she immediately broke down and cried and cried and cried. And it turned out her husband at age 47 had died of a heart attack. Mm. And she was left with this house with she and her husband and their 12, their 12, their 17 year old daughter had lived in for the last 12 years. And when I said, why would you sell a nice house like this? She started to cry because all her her world was kind of melting down. Sure. And um, when I said, well, in the event that I buy your house, where are you going to go? And she said, I don't know. But I need to find someplace that's going to be less expensive because now we don't have the same income. And so since she didn't have a place, we had to resolve that. So I asked her um, how much could she afford and she said around seven hundred dollars and i asked her to explain her budget now and she didn't have a budget but i said well show me your your fixed expenses that you pay every month and she showed me her mortgage coupon which was a thousand a month so when i saw she had a piti payment of a thousand a month that she was paying to live in the house and she wanted to get a house with a payment of 700 a month or less. I knew we had a $300 problem, not a $139,000 sell your house problem. Mm-hmm. And so in looking at her bills, we discovered she had a car loan that cost 350 a month. And the balance owed on the car was $5,000. So I paid her $5,000 to buy, for the right to buy her house in five years and not before. So that $5,000 paid off the car loan. And mm-hmm. by eliminating that expense, it created income for her so she and her daughter could stay in the house and afford the home they'd been living in. And I had the appreciation, were there to be any, and it was a $5,000 expense for me. And it, once again, I didn't buy the house. I got the right to buy the house. I got an option on that house. But tremendous benefit for her and fantastic leverage for me. No, I agree. The, mm-hmm. the, the ability to control you know, that house and whatever appreciation, if any, it brings for five thousand dollars is is significant so what we're going to do uh we're, we're going to take our final break and then when we come back um believe it or not we're going to get into some questions because even though i have deliberately and intentionally not given out the phone number this entire time people are texting me questions on my phone <laughs> so we will we will go ahead and address some of those so we'll be right back after this 
All right, welcome back, loyal listeners. This is Mr. Drew sitting in for Vina with my extra super special guest, Peter Fortunato. Um, Peter, if, if, Peter, if you don't mind, we're going to take the last whatever it is, ten minutes or so, and uh, and try to burn through a few of these questions that have stealth their way onto my phone. Are you are you okay with that? Oh, of course I am. Okay, good. I, I thought so. Uh, the first one I got this morning, mere seconds after that email went out, uh, talking about what the what the show was going to be, and this guy's basic question, if I if I can paraphrase, it it's his understanding and mine, frankly, that e- even though you live uh, where you live in in you know St. Pete or whatever or Tampa, I guess, um, you still own property up in Mass. Is that correct? I I. Don't own I, huh, I. I have remainder interest in property in Massachusetts. My my sisters, my brother, uh, my daughter and son-in-law, my grandkids are in Massachusetts. So I have uh, a presence there. Okay. And properties that I have a, a future interest are actually my my kids and grandkids will have an interest in. Sure. I don't <laughs> own anything outright up there. Okay. Well, I get you. And, but nicely nuanced. So this guy's essential question is about managing property long distance. And it sounds don't. like that's an easy, that's an easy answer. Don't. Okay. So in, in your I've case, I've never sent money. I've never sent money out of town and had it come back. <laughs> Okay, bravo. So the, the answer is the answer is don't unless it sounds like you've set it up so it's actually someone else's kind of issue and deal and belongs to the local yep. boots on the ground. So they are doing things locally, not you. Not and I you, have not a remainder t- interest. Okay. You know, I have a remainder interest. So at some point in the future, it, it, it reverts. But when I was in Boston, I was investing in Florida with jack miller who was a better real estate guy than i was mm. and so jack was taking care of the deals that i put together and i own it with jack with dennis kelcher in st pete again a better real estate guy than i am and a, a super manager so i could make that deal from boston um i did deals in in uh, sarasota with john shaw again that kind of expertise and that kind of uh, honorable people who can take care of the property made those deals, even though they were 1,400 miles away, work. But I will tell you, after 50 years, I watched people send money away, and it rarely comes back. I go to California, I listen to those crazy people sending their money to all kinds of places, and I just know that it's only a matter of time before it's all gone. Okay, fair enough. Good answer. I like it. It makes me uncomfortable, too. Um, I should have never announced that people were texting me questions because now it's continuing. Um, This is from uh, Venus Little Boy Toy Matt. Uh, Ask Pete to talk about which currencies he prefers instead of Federal Reserve notes, why which currencies he uses in a deal are important to him, and how to choose which to offer. So that's a lot. And we've got more questions okay. after that. So, you know, sum that up as, as best you can. Okay. All right. Well, let's start. First of all, Matt asked, uh, which one do I prefer? I prefer and I choose to offer that one which will be acceptable to the other people. So 
that you get some guy that wants a boat, I'll offer him a boat, even though I think that's a very foolish thing for him to take. Sometimes people want another house, a bigger house, smaller house, a house without a big yard, a house with a big yard, a house that doesn't have four bedrooms because their children are threatening to move back and they want a one-bedroom condo. <laughs> um, you, you, you never know what you're going to get, but my, my most used currency is promises. Most properties that I've acquired, I've acquired with a promise, or with promises, plural. And a typical promise that I would make is I will give you $5,000 now and $5,000 every year for the next 10 years. Typically, if I'm making that offer, I'm making the offer hypothetically. And I will explain to people a story about a deal I did or back when I was starting, a deal someone I heard about did and say, in the event that you could do this, is there any reason why that wouldn't work for you? Is there any reason why you wouldn't do that? I love and the getting that, to know. Get, instead of getting to yes. Help. Yeah. Go. I'm but, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I made a deal uh, with uh, Dick and Naomi here where I said to them, they had a, a vacant house. So, again, that vacant house is a burden to people. It's a worrisome burden, and it's expensive to, to carry that house. I, I said, in the event that I could arrange to give you $5,000 this Christmas, and then each Christmas for the next five years, because they wanted $30,000 for their equity, is there any reason why you wouldn't consider that? And Dick said, well, I'll think about it. And Naomi said... No, there's no reason why we wouldn't consider that. <laughs> and so we closed. Oh, my mercy. That's... So that, that's really what I typically give is a seller finance note to buy the property. And sometimes there are tax reasons for that. So you're, doing it, you're using an installment sale. Other times there's an income reason, and the people want to sell but don't want to give up the income. And as an example, I, I did in the, in the paper course I did a couple weeks ago, I used an example of a lady who I met in August this year who had one rental house that she bought and kept for several years. She bought it for $70,000, and she sold it for two hundred at the end of, well, probably just about 12 months ago. She sold it at the end of uh, 2017. The $200,000 turned into $162,000 after taxes and transaction costs. Mm-hmm. The $162,000 was in the bank. And I sat with her and she showed me the bank statement. And it produced $13.50 a month in interest income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, had she not sold that house and just kept it, it rented to $1,400. And so just figure half of that goes away for taxes and insurance and maintenance and supplies and cleaning. That's still $700 a month. But she didn't think to keep the 700 a month because she thought turning it into dollars, seeing her $70,000 investment cash out at 200 would be a source of pride, even though she might starve to death in her retirement. Sure. Yeah. That but- is a mistake many Americans make. 
And if you'll sit down and lay it out on a T-bar just like that on the left side, here's what happens. If, where, here's where you are right now. And here's where you could be. Here's where you are if you got money in the bank. Your $500 a month is only going to last 10 years because you're not get, getting enough interest. I can give you $500 a month for 15 years. Is there any reason why you wouldn't rather have more income for a longer period of time? And that is a very typical uh, presentation and benefit that I give to acquire property with a promise. Okay, good. Let me let me try to squeeze in uh, one more question. Uh, but I I I love that explanation, and that's very true, and it's very broad thinking. Um, uh, from Kitty in Newport, I've heard you talk about this a little timing. I've heard you talk about using options to control properties long term. Does that make sense in a Midwestern market where properties don't appreciate that much? If so, in what way would I be using them to put properties under option at what is now a lower than market price or something else? Okay. Um, the option, it's not your goal to use a technique. The one thing I hope you heard as I've been talking is the, the needs of the people I'm talking to dictate the technique that gets used to solve the problem. I get people asking me all the time about options because I've done a, a, a great many options over my lifetime. And they say, I've, I'm going into the MLS seeking options. Well, the people in MLS want to get rid of their house. That's why they're trying to sell it. The person who will grant an option doesn't want to get rid of their house. You remember the story of the widow. She'd love to have been able to stay in that house. That's why my option was not to buy the house tomorrow and take it away from her, but to let her stay in that house. That was a very huge benefit for her. So typically, I get options from people who want to use the house. So I either provide them with the house and get an option myself, or I enable them to stay in a house they're already in and get the right to buy it in the future. Okay, uh, good. I, I, I've that, got to cut you off that, there. It'd be, let me give you 30 seconds for closing thoughts because we, we have run out of time and Mike's dancing around like okay. he's got a pee. So, um, okay. Just, the, the, just recognize equity is not just built by property going up. It's possible to write that option so that the equity is built by the amortization of an existing loan, mm -hmm. and the loan paydown may be sufficient to give you enough yield to make it work. And also, sometimes you're wrong. And I have made a lot of money, made a lot of profit, got some nice properties with options, but I've also lost the money. So don't think it always works. Yeah. Indeed. I appreciate it. Um, okay. The, briefly, I heard a rumor that you have a website now. And uh, is that is I that... have nothing to do with a website. I don't go there. I don't look at it. <laughs> but uh, people, people could find out more. That it's good for me. Is it Peter Fortunato or Pete Fortunato? Peter Fortunato. PeterFortunato.com. And that way they can find yep. out more about you and where you're going to be and that kind of thing, right? Yep. And as a matter of fact, I think that they put a, a, an interview Vina did with me a few years ago on that site, and people talk to me all the time about how much they like it. Well, good. Hey, Pete, I love you, buddy. I, I really appreciate <laughs> you being here. 
Uh, Mike's going to play us out, but thank you so much for being part of this and helping me out. All right. Take care of yourself, right. and I hope to see you soon. Thanks, brother. All right. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Thank you.